0: On this episode of Architect, we take a look at the security of the education facilities, how architects and technologists can come together, and what are the biggest concerns in the coming years? All that and more. Next on Architect.
1: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.
2: AV Nation is brought to you by SURE, because
3: every voice matters.
0: This is Architect, Episode 9, recorded Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. Security rings. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. This is Architect the Month. We'll look at how the architecture space and the technology space can work together. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Uh, this month, we're going to talk about security, uh, specifically education security, and how more and more uh, legislation, pieces of legislation are being put in place, more and more manufacturers, and, and honestly, uh, more architecture firms are getting involved in, and earlier and earlier on in the space. Uh, with me to talk about that, first and foremost, Melissa McFadgen um, and John St. Pierre from NAC Architecture. Welcome to you both.
3: Thank you very much. Thanks for having
0: us. Thank you. And also with us is a good friend of ours, uh, Gina Sansevero from Atlas IED. Welcome, ma'am.
1: Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, uh, Melissa, we'll start with you guys um, and NAC. When it comes to this space and when it comes to security, and it's something that uh, obviously architects have been worried about uh, technology, folks and technologists are getting more and more involved every single year. What are the biggest security concerns for education facilities today?
3: So the biggest, uh, the biggest concern that comes to mind for school districts is often the active shooter situation, the very aggressive intruder. And it clearly is something that captures a lot of media attention, it gets a lot of focus, because it is incredibly tragic. And so while that is the biggest area of concern that districts grapple with, in terms of understanding how to manage a school or campus to eliminate or at least control uh, active uh, intruders. What we're finding is that is a byproduct of a much bigger concern and issue that districts uh, often need to look at it a step-by-step process. And that is that the, um, the, the bullying, the environment that the the school and the educational environment that the, that the students go to every day must uh, make a student feel connected, they must feel like it's a safe place, they must feel like they have connections within that school environment to hopefully eliminate uh, the, the very tragic situations uh, escalating to the point of an active shooter. And so, Districts are grappling with this on many different levels, and um, it's a really challenging philosophical and um, community uh, pressure point for districts to to struggle with that we're we're talking about from day one. Often we're talking about uh, school security before we even get the job, because it is so critical that we are well-educated and aware of uh, approaches that can be taken in the design Process
0: to to minimize those risks. All right, John. Then how do you how do you make a kid feel secure? How, how do you make a kid feel connected from an architect standpoint?
2: Well, to make to, it's first get involved with the community um, so that the kids uh, coming to school uh, feel a sense of transparency when they get to school and that uh, security measures that we have in place. Don't overwhelm that, uh, that, that, that unfortunate physical appearance that seems to happen when we, when we try to uh, secure a building to make more of a bunker style, which is really not the approach we want to do. So we want to uh, make them feel at home. Uh, we want to give them a sense of ease. Um, and again, that transparency. Uh, coming to, arriving, you know, arriving at school, leaving school, um, transition for parents that come, that might need to, to uh, interact with the, with the staff and the teachers as well. So that, that's the kind of approach, Melissa.
3: Yeah, I think that some of the, the, the approaches, um, it's a real um, kind of tension in the, in the fact that um, many of the, the, the data out there is saying that for students uh, to have a positive, engaging educational experience, there needs to be a lot of transparency. You're learning from your peers, you're learning from Um, teachers that are across the way, there's a lot of positive staff and student interactions by a lot of transparency, the ability to connect, the ability to work in small groups, while at the same time there is the pushback that well, all of those students are vulnerable the second a shooter enters the premises because there's nowhere for a student to hide. And so it's this tension between the philosophical approach to be able to deliver education so you have that community and peer-to-peer connection that John's talking about while at the same time keeping the students safe. And for a lot of people, safe means solid walls, not being able to see students, um, creating that bunker style approach that, that John's talking about. So it really becomes a significant tension in the conversations. And we, um, one of the most important aspects is when you start talking to first responders and what they want relative to approaching a school and, and and their needs, they are also advocates often of transparency. They want to be able to see into the building. They want to be able to be immediately aware of the activities that are occurring inside. They want to minimize hiding places. They want to minimize the ability for uh, uh, intruder to be in the building and they as first responders can't see what's happening, nor can they see the students who are in the building who are in a threatening situation. So it's a really interesting and uh, carefully navigated conversation to find that balance between transparency, a safe environment and and not having a bunker style where a student walking into a school and going through a metal detector is a very different experience than a student going through into the front doors of their school feeling welcome, feeling safe, yeah. feeling embraced. So the, those are kind of the two extremes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gina, I wanna bring in the, the technology side here um, because something that Melissa said there about uh, you can't see you know, and first rep- responders need to see, but there is there is absolutely a technology technology aspect of this here and um something that i learned years and years ago in in theater is is the more high tech we become the more high touch we need to be right we need to be make people feel welcome especially students especially in today's day and age um how can we as technologists kind of walk that line and assist architects and assist first responders and make sure that yeah it's safe but it's also you know um it's inviting but it's also you know uh, we, all, we can also give you eyes and ears on, on areas.
1: So uh, I think that Melissa hit on it um, without necessarily saying this, but really preparedness. Preparedness is going to be the key here. Um, and bringing in all stakeholders, once you have a cleared emergency preparedness plan, um, is, is going to get everybody on the same page and ensure everybody stays on the same page. But without that emergency preparedness plan, um, those kind of differences of opinions, the the kind of blockade or the bunker type of mentality versus the um, very open, transparent type of a, a mentality, will always kind of um, have these these clearly opposing viewpoints, but but uh, slightly more um, aggressively opposing. So so you really want that. Emergency preparedness plan to be clear, um, to be and everybody to have buy-in. And once you have buy-in, there's technology that's going to support that plan, rather than having a plan that supports technology. Right, so so it's it's one it's you don't want to put the cart before the horse. In other mm-hmm. words, so as as technology manufacturers and as technologists and integrators, um, we come in and we say, well, we have solutions for um, to enhance security, but you tell us first what your plan is. Um, you tell us first what your vision for your school or your vision for your campus is and then we can help to support that vision because otherwise you're putting a square peg in a round hole um and and so yes tim we have solutions that will allow first responders to um, see through sensors and and see if there's any movement in classrooms that they thought might be empty. Um, We have the ability to uh, show wayfinding so that students know where to evacuate um, for both visual and audio communications. So you have ADA compliance. We have all that stuff, but really where it starts is what is the vision? that you have for your school and campus, and then how can we support those initiatives?
0: Yes, absolutely.
3: And I I think that's a great point, Gina, and that's often where we put the onus kind of back on the district, is because often we're working on a single building and those districts have multiple buildings. And so it's not only the the technology and the safety protocols that we're implementing in the new building or the, the renovated building It's what are you doing in all of your other buildings uh, that don't necessarily get touched right now? And how are you bringing everyone Mm -hmm. up to the same level so that you don't start to develop a have-have-nots, but then you also always go back to, here's what our safety protocol is. Here's what our standard is. Every child will know what that means when this alarm is sounded, and these are the safety measures in place. And so that plan is absolutely critical John and I were just talking about that because we're the same in every aspect of which, which components of security do you implement and which will be recognized by the district administration, the first responders, but then also most importantly, the staff and students who need to respond in an event of an emergency. Yeah, it's extremely important. I think one of the first steps that
2: Gene and both Melissa have been mentioning is you have some kind of master plan in place and that starts with the district. However they decide to approach that, I mean, we can try to offer assistance uh, across the board as integrators, as architects, but um, ultimately it starts with them, and they need to engage the administrators, the teachers, the students, to determine what those, uh, to assess that, find out what their risks are, and figure out how to leverage the technology to meet those needs.
1: And I think that's exactly the point. You know, what we've seen is that... um, very often, we'll bring in a school, may bring in a consultant um, to talk about security technology. Um, that consultant doesn't necessarily end up talking to the audiovisual staff or, or you know somebody outside of that security world so when we're talking about let's say higher education not even k-12 you have facilities and you have campus safety and you have audiovisual, and you have i.t and you have administration and you have faculty and you have staff and you have students and sometimes you don't get everybody in the same room to make those decisions um with regard to uh campus safety so so when it comes to incorporating technology into that, it becomes even fewer of those stakeholders in the room, right? And, and that, that's really a challenge for us when we're talking to the AV staff about how to incorporate um, some of these technologies into their digital signage, where they can use that for um, critical alerts protocols and things like that. What happens when the IT department or the campus safety department is unaware that this is possible? And and how does that, you know, how does that oversight or overlook affect total campus preparedness?
3: We often talk about that exact thing in a very simple manner, but it's isolated. I think it illustrates the point perfectly is that when we think about security, uh, we think about it in concentric centric rings. And so you think about the largest ring being at your, uh, basically your campus or your property perimeter. And so you have cameras there, you're seeing who's coming in, and then you go in one more ring and you see the front um, entry vestibule and you've got a secure vestibule that's been hardened, it has all the technology, it has all of the um, bulletproof or um, intruder-resistant glass. And as you work your way in, a lot of it is dependent on technologies, a lot of it is dependent on cameras and an individual recognizing that a threat is occurring. And so who has the time to sit there and monitor these 40 to 50 cameras and be able to identify a threat when it occurs? And that's really where um, the investment needs to sit to uh, alert and have these uh, protocols in place that allow for certain cameras to be um, activated at certain times, to allow for the technology to help support uh, the, the safety measures so that it isn't all on the burden of a single individual watching 40 cameras at a time because that's that's not realistic. Um, you're, you're likely not going to catch the threat if that's your
1: utilization of technology. Yeah, I mean, Tim, you you remember um, our event in Atlanta where yep. we were talking to a bunch of colleges and universities about their, what they were campus AV um, service providers. So they provided service to their campus, but they were like in-house integrators. So they worked on campus um, for the school. And we asked them, how often do you get involved in campus safety and security Um, integration and by and far most of them said they don't Um, unless they're specifically asked and that's well into the process um, they don't necessarily get involved now we had a couple and it was really interesting who were brought in as part of their emergency management task force on campus but that is so rare based on what we had seen. And more often than not, it's we leave that to the security group and the security group outsources it. Yep. Campus safety outsources monitoring of cameras and even infrastructure upgrade and things like that. And the only thing that the campus AV and IT teams are involved with is when the campus safety comes to them and says, we need a data drop here for our network. And, and that's unfortunate because it seems and I'm not uh, this is a generalization and somebody is going to get upset with me but it seems that for whatever reason campus safety technology is is not as it's not as evolved or they don't upgrade it as often as they could whereas AV and IT they knew no new technologies they know new requirements for infrastructure they know you know all of all of the cutting edge things, whether or not they can afford it, is a different story. But yes. but who gets the budget is campus safety, and AV and IT understand the technology, and they're not being brought into that conversation. And it's and there's a frustration there that you can absolutely see. I mean, we saw it in in that event in Atlanta.
0: Well, let me bring yeah. let me bring one more thing into here real quick, Gina, is about that that there are technologies that. The, the, this is not even the left hand not telling the right hand what, what you're doing. You're talking about completely separate industries here. And one one is is airports that I've learned an awful lot, honestly, working with Gina the last last year or so. Um, they have facilities and they have the te- technologies in you know, airports that are not just you know notifications, right? That your your you're, this flight is leading here, but they also have uh, emergency notification systems on those same backbones. And it, it seems to me, and and I'll have all three of you guys chime in on this where there are technologies and under other areas and other systems out there that we're not leveraging either in education, right? Or there are, are you know, there, where they do wayfinding really well and, and they do uh, cameras s- systems really well. And, and um, they have the, the emergency beacons and the nine one one beacons out beacons on the parking lots where it, at airports they do other systems really well that, where they could do the leverage what, what, they do in education maybe the, the two of them should start talking right or the architects and the technologists that work in these other areas because you know we're, we're so um uh, tied into our own little silos where we're like hey you know what um you know maybe education folks just are talking to hospitality or or, or hospital folks
2: it will be more on the the, the techn- technology side of the kind of like china uh the biggest thing i'm starting to see in this i think this was across all industries not just schools higher ed um, is the integration piece of it that we, we have you know you get into a project and you'll have multiple people doing different systems on the project. You're, you're pointing them, and Tim is that you have AV guys doing stuff, you have the IT folks doing stuff. All of it's using pretty much the same infrastructure background, but uh, the the other intimate pieces out there for the video, the access control, the intrusion elements yep. um, are all usually by different vendors, and they're not necessarily a single person that talk together. Uh, to make this stuff work and ideally uh, the, the systems need to be seamless for the user. They need to be all integrated and they need to be able to communicate uh, with basically behind the scenes so that on my phone I can pull up that video seamlessly and I can tell um, you know, what, what happened at this door, at this camera and I, I think that's lacking right now in our industry is having that uh, central integration mm-hmm. point or that piece. So, I, Gina, are you seeing that, too, as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. And what's really interesting is that, the, like you said, they're all networked equipment. Yeah. So there, there is a possibility to have a central repository. Um, you know, there are a bunch of manufacturers in our industry and beyond who have this ability to monitor anything on the network. I mean, we have that capability to 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 be able to monitor anything on the network, see if it's... Um, picking anything up or seeing if it's uh, the status of, of the equipment. Is it, is it on? Is it off? Um, is it in a restart mode? What's wrong with it? Um, being able to remotely identify problem areas is, is absolutely key. What we're finding or what I've been seeing is that the hardest place to probably do that is outdoors. Outdoor areas, so so inside you have the ability to really kind of hone in on um, monitoring of equipment. Outdoor equipment might be a little bit more difficult, or especially areas where you don't have coverage um, from some of that from some of that equipment. But yes, absolutely. As I kind of derail that conversation, um, absolutely, I definitely see the in, the ability for technology to act as a central repository for all networked equipment, but the non-use. <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah.
2: Video video analytics has really come a long way, I think, especially with dealing with the exterior type of applications where they can identify you know, areas or activities that wants. You can flag it, recognize it, and then a warn or alert on it. So that, that's kind of interesting that.
3: I think the other area, similar to the outdoors, that we often see um, a challenge is uh, because we're uh, in the K-12 environment, in any environment where you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with minors. Mm -hmm. And so the privacy aspects relative to recording, to reviewing, um, publishing any information, and where we're really seeing the outdoors is certainly one. The other that's an interesting struggle, and it, it is related to security in the aspect that Um, gender-neutral restrooms and how do you deal with the restroom situation in high school particular particularly in a high school setting in the locker room situation where you're able to um, there's the technology out there that allows you to monitor what's happening inside those individual restrooms so if you go to a model where it's non gender specific they're just individual stalls and maybe there's a sensor on the outside of the door that tells you you know an administrator can stand there and say Um, It's green meaning there's only one person in there. They're not vaping. Everything's fine. If it's red some some naughty business is happening or Something's occurring There's the technology out there to overcome some of these um, Issues relative to security and making sure students are safe and they have equal access but it gets really challenging when you're dealing with minors and how you make sure that these areas that are more challenging to cover like the outdoors, like restrooms, locker rooms, those kinds of spaces that are using technology, but the technology is is able to be uh, brought together and woven together to be a single source. So it's still very easy and seamless for the administrators to use it to the best of their ability, because if it's not being used to the best of the ability, it's gonna be abandoned. Yeah, and that's always the challenge.
1: That's that we are seeing that absolutely. It has to be a simple interface, and it's not even about identifying a problem. But then, what do you do when the problem is identified? How do you provide instruction? Um, how do you provide instruction in multiple ways so that everybody, no matter where they are, understand what those instructions are clearly? Um, but but that interface becomes. Really, that's that's all that the user sees. So that becomes the ideal product, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That becomes what you're known for. Absolutely.
0: Let me ask you guys this because we've talked about this a little bit um, in get, gathering all the different stakeholders. Um, Melissa, I'll start with you on this. From from a, an architect standpoint, how do you gather all the information and all the needs and wants and desires of all the different stakeholders, and then convert that into a language, a common language? that all of the trades, right, whether it's electricians, it's an IT designer, it's a security expert, it's AV folks, it's architects, it's engineers, you know, whoever, a common language that everybody can understand exactly what those needs are. And and what is that common language?
3: Yeah, good question. Um, (laughs) Boy, I wish this was a one size fits all answer. Um, I think it goes back to what Gina was saying. There's a lot to be said about Just best practices and standards established by a district because there is literally an infinite number of ways to solve problems anymore and so I think there's that aspect that is relative to kind of the nuts and bolts. Here's what we do at every school. It goes back to parity. It goes back to district standards and maintaining and all those things where we spend a lot of time and we're finding we're spending more and more time is before we ever draw a line on paper we have conversations and this is a term from the lean process of conditions of satisfaction or what are your um, principles that we need to achieve on this project so we are identifying very early the priorities and the needs of the uh, user groups both and typically in the room it's administrators staff Occasionally students, often community members, parents, and they're communicating to us, here's the things that this facility has to achieve for us to view it as a success. And so you identify early on what everyone's prioritized as their need. They're in the same room as those who are expressing other needs so they can start to develop empathy for those that may not be on our radar screen because often what a community member wants versus what a maintenance person wants versus an administrator is very different. So, building that uh, framework early on, and then it is our job as architects to say, okay, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, here's what this means to you. This means that um, this is the need that they have because of this desire that's been expressed, and here's how we need to accomplish it given all the other parameters. So, I think it's the upfront work to make sure that all the users and all the individuals who will be using the building will have an awareness of what the goals are. Using the district or client standards that have already been put in place and then making sure that that is our charge. To the point where often in design meetings, we will start the design meeting with the top 10 principles. And so that it's a constant reminder throughout when the contractor comes on board we gave it to them to say, here's what they've said is their priorities. Yeah. And to that end, um, it's about it. That's where the human touch comes in. Um, you know, robots can't necessarily do that. We always are talking about automation and all those things, but that's our job as architects to be those ringleaders and make sure that everyone has that information in hand.
2: I, I think it's important that you involve um, the engineers and the architects as early on in the process. It seems reasonable as well, uh, because uh, as as a technologist they it has a, a huge impact on what can be accomplished cannot be accomplished and Without getting into the weeds of it. You can really assess um, Whether the strategy or plan or intent or narrative if you want to call it that uh, what their need is uh, You can you can get some feedback on that earlier before
3: it just goes down that the
2: right. path. Yeah,
3: yeah. The cost, cost is always I mean, it's a a big component in decision-making and when individuals make an investment um, in a particular aspect of the the building, it needs to work. And so that's where you really need to have the experts at the table early on to be able to provide educational advice, educated advice and feedback on, on how things can be accomplished.
1: Yeah, we're working with with integrators who are getting trained by experts. Um, We have an association called the National Systems Contractor Association that was part of or co-founding the PASS K-12 initiative, which is the Partner Alliance for Safer Schools. And this came about a few years ago in the wake of Sandy Hook. And um, what PASS does is it attempts to provide guidelines for security on K-12 in K-12 districts on their campuses and in their buildings. So there's different tiers and those tiers um, are similar to what Melissa had said almost like concentric circles and past K-12 identifies from the furthest boundary to the inside of the classroom what uh, security technology processes and protocols are available to help them meet past fall k-12 guidelines so um, from a technology standpoint it could be digital it could be analog um, they identify both but what they're doing is they're arming technology integrators with this information um, to be able to have these conversations very frank honest conversations with district administrators to be able to um, help to make some of those decisions easier. Now, again, not bypassing the need for them to fit technology into the preparedness plan or to have have it support the preparedness plan and not the other way around, Um, but PASS K-12 is one of those initiatives that allows um, the technology world to kind of become a little bit more educated about that.
3: I think... um... That is an initiative that many uh, entities are going, they're taking on themselves. Michael Pinto is a principal in our Los Angeles office, and he recently sat on a committee that uh, was formed in the wake of Parkland, and it was the city of Los Angeles. And they were basically developing some of those similar um, concepts where it was kind of talking about guidelines and establishing protocol for what a safe and secure environment looks like for students to get from home to school and back safely and what that looks like every step of the way. And it's, it is something where the framework that was developed um, out of Sandy Hook and other very tragic um, experiences, they're, they're using those as lessons for people to feel like they don't have to start from ground zero that they can start with educated decisions that individuals have put together that um, really help districts uh, customize it to suit what their community needs. And that's a really critical aspect to making sure again, that the lines of communication are open and expectations are aligned. Yep.
0: All right, guys, that is actually going to do it uh, for this conversation, even though we could probably keep going for another uh, hour. We may very well just do that in a couple months, revisit this. Uh, So thank you all so much, uh, Melissa McFadgen and uh, John St. Pierre uh, from NAC Architecture. Thank you both so much.
3: Thank you very much. It was a true pleasure again. Absolutely.
0: Again, Uh, how do people get a hold of you guys or NAC?
3: Uh, you can go to our website at nacarchitecture.com, and both John and I, our first initial, last name at NAC is our email. We, of course, have all the typical Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, so please
1: feel free to join.
0: Yeah, right, very good. Uh, and Ms. Gina Sansevero from Atlas IED, thank you, ma'am. Thank
1: you again for having me. I love this group. I want to have another podcast with this group. We're getting along okay. so well. Okay. Um, so atlasied.com, um, atlas underscore IED on Twitter, atlasied on, on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, and you can find me at Gina Sands on Twitter.
0: Mm, very good. Uh, for us, for me, don't don't follow me, uh, but go by the website if you would please avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others, including our, including our two weekly news programs. One is Resi Week, and one is uh, Av Week. Resi Week looks at the residential side, and Av Week looks at the commercial side of the AV industry. While you are there, please check out our our supporter section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you. Architect and AV Week and Resi Week, and our coverage of ISE 2020. And uh, Atlas is one of those, and we thank them for their support. So, all of that and more at aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. all the time we have for Architect.